Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What I love about the Stokes is they're not saying that it's not it, it's not okay to be rich or to be sex, successful or powerful or or famous. What they're saying is that to need those things is a really bad place to come from. Thanks for joining us on The Road to Somewhere, where we talk about exploration, adventure, and major life change. It's all about transformation. It's about not necessarily knowing where we're going, but having faith that the journey will be worthwhile. I am Lisa Oz. And I am Jill Herzig. And I kind of want to start our conversation today by thinking about reactivity a little bit. Mm. In this world that is full of stimuli, things that make us scared, things that make us angry, things that make us nervous or worried, the reactivity just, it, it feels like, I feel like it's a constant battle not to be jumping from every stimulus. Do you feel that? Um, I think it is a universal problem <laughs> for most of us, yeah, um, which is why we have our guest today, because he can help us with that. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> uh, Ryan Holiday is with us today, and he is, I would argue, the world, world's foremost expert on Stoicism. At least he's reintroduced Stoicism to the 21st century. Um, his new book is Stillness is the Key. Ryan, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So for listeners who aren't familiar with your work, the four of them who are out there, can you just give us a brief introduction to what Stoicism is? Yeah, um, I, I can imagine when they're hearing that word, if they're not familiar with it, their their reaction is probably negative, right? Still, uh, Stoicism to people means sort of the absence of emotion or this sort of like... Um, enduring of pain and and there might be a part of that in stoicism but really it's a it's a it's a robust resilient strategy <clears throat> uh, philosophy from ancient history that that is built around sort of four key concepts and those sort of four virtues of stoicism are courage 
the world always needs more courage, justice, doing the right thing. We always need people to be doing the right thing. Moderation, so finding balance. And then finally, wisdom, the the pursuit of knowledge and understanding. So it's not a philosophy of just sort of taking uh, taking pain without flinching. It's really a, a, a way of life, a way of living. I, I feel like sort of at the core of Stoicism is this idea that we don't control a lot of what happens in life, what happens in the world, what happens to us in life. But ultimately, the Stoics believed we controlled how we responded. And we, so that the, we don't control what happens, we control how we respond. And so that's kind of what I write about. And that's what, to me, Stoicism is, is really all about. So that's the connection to reactivity, right? It's how yes. we react to it, whether we react to it, whether we overreact to it, or I guess maybe underreact to some things too, as sure. possible. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting because I, I think it is very empowering to go, okay, you don't control what happens, you control how you respond. At the same time, I would also argue most people are way too reactive in life and they're sort of pinging around or, or being sent in all these directions because stuff is just always happening to them. So I don't, I guess that might seem a little contradictory, but I don't think it is. I think where the Stoic is, is really going, okay, there's going to be all these things that are happening in life and I'm going to be sort of provoked or, or prodded in different directions. And I'm going to choose what I'm going to react to. I'm going to choose how I'm going to react. I'm going to be very intentional about how I go through the world because the last thing you want to do is sort of hand over your happiness or your equanimity to you know, whatever is pinging on your phone or you know, whatever is going on on social media or whatever you know, you're seeing on CNN as it's running in the, in the background as you're walking through the airport. So how did you discover this? You Stoicism? young, hip, brilliant guy. Like, how did <laughs> how did the ancients <laughs> find you and like hijack your life? Yeah, no, that's that's definitely what they did. Uh, a, a friend of mine is referred to. He said there's a, a sort of a breed of books that he calls quake books, like an earthquake books that just sort of shake everything that you know about the world. And and that's what what Stoicism was for me. Believe it or not, I was I was introduced to uh, Stoicism by another one of America's most famous doctors, uh, Doctor Drew Pinsky. <laughs> I was in a uh, I was at a conference in college, and he was the guest speaker. The, the conference was sponsored by Trojan condoms of all things. <laughs> and and uh, afterwards, I just went up to him and I asked him if he had any book recommendations, and he recommended that I read the Stoics, and it. It not only changed the course of my life, but it, it set in motion a, a, a friendship between he and I that, that's been very rewarding. So it's just this kind of totally random thing that I feel very grateful for, but it's, it came from somewhat strange circumstance. So with Stoicism, a bunch of them are Greek and a bunch of them are Roman. Yes. What unifies the field? The the Greeks uh, were coming to it, sort of creating. They're sort of inventing it, coming up with this philosophy around the time of of Aristotle. And then what ends up happening is Rome takes over Greece, uh, and and as the Roman Empire becomes the sort of center of the world, the philosophers flock to to Rome. But what's interesting is that we now tend to think of philosophers as just teachers or just academics, just thinkers. But in the ancient world, particularly in Rome, as all of a sudden they're running this enormous empire, philosophy was what the rulers and the generals and the business people needed 
to manage just all of the stuff that they were responsible for. So Stoicism very early on became intertwined with politics, with governance, you know, with, with business, with the military. And that sort of tradition continues to this day in that Stoicism is not a philosophy for people who have a PhD at Harvard, but it's more a philosophy for people in the real world doing real stuff. So I think that the unifying theme between, you know, the Greeks, the Romans, and now the professional athletes and the business people and the, uh, and the, I just, I just spoke to a, a group of Marines about Stoicism in San Diego last week. What ties all that together is that we're all the same people living in the same world, relatively powerless over all these things that are happening, but we're trying to figure out, okay, how should I respond? What, what should I respond to? And how can I live a really good life and be a good person? And what sort of framework can, can, I, can you provide for me to do that? So that kind of leads into you personally. And since this is like a, a personal show about personal sure. transformation, the first book of yours that I read was Trust Me, I'm Lying. Yeah. <laughs> and it was probably the most brilliant book I've ever read on marketing. And not, I wouldn't say it was like, like an ethical primer. Um, and you're writing that the same time yeah. you're writing like ego is the enemy and the obstacle is the way, which are deeply spiritual and, you know, philosophical uh, guy, books on, on how to live a good life. Um, how does did, did and does the the stoicism influence the master marketer marketer yeah <laughs> well i i think stoicism informed that book in the sense that without it i'm not sure the book would exist and, and by that i mean i i was uh, I, I got into sort of internet and digital marketing very early i worked with all these controversial clients and i did a lot of really cool stuff but i became sort of increasingly disillusioned with just how fragile and manipulatable the system was and the vulnerabilities that were in it. And so I think, um, you know, when you find something like that, you can kind of go down, you can go in two directions. One, which is you could say, well, I could make a lot of money doing this, or I could, you know, I could get a lot of power from this. Or you could say, this is not right. I don't like this. I'm going to try to do something about it. And so I think ultimately, uh, you know, I, I went down the first road, I, I won't deny it. But I, I, at a certain point, I turned back and said, you know, this is not what I want to do with my life. And, and I ultimately decided to write the book because I felt like there was a perspective that I had on how things actually operated behind the scenes that, that I, didn't think were, I didn't think was proper and I didn't think was good for the, the world. And so I wrote that book you know, and people can dispute it if they want. But I, I, I saw that book as a tell-all, as a sort of an expose about how a system operated. And I think stoicism not only informed why I felt like I should do that, but it was scary. I mean, I felt like I was blowing up my career. I felt like I, was, I knew I was going to make a lot of people angry. A lot of people would think I was the bad guy. And so stoicism sort of informed that process all, all, all through, throughout it. Did it blow something up in your career? I mean, did you... Yeah, I mean, it certainly, uh, I certainly would have been better not to explain exactly all the loopholes <laughs> that were easy to take advantage of. I mean, it, I think it would have been, I could have made more money, you know, selling access to those strategies directly to people, or or I could have said, look, like this is how it works. I don't care who I'm helping or 
um, what causes I'm advancing. As long as their checks clear, I'm just going to you know take advantage of that. And I just decided that wasn't the kind of person that I I wanted to be. And and I think largely what motivated that book was seeing like, okay, if I'm having such an easy time doing this for authors or public figures or brands, but but I'm doing so within the bounds of you know sort of normal society. What could someone who really wants to sort of tear the whole thing down, or, or what, what could a, what could real bad actors do using the same tactics? And I think you know we're starting to wake up. One of the one of the benefits that came out of tw- the 2016 election was realizing just how vulnerable we were to to. Um, yeah, you know, I was I was going to ask you if you if you feel increasingly horrified by this. Oh, of course. I mean, look, uh, the guy that gave Donald Trump the idea for the wall, trust me, I'm lying, is his favorite book. So like, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel great about that. You know, uh, uh, that, that's, that's certainly not what I was att- uh, hoping to accomplish with the book. But I, I do feel like people like that are, pr- uh, like their moves are so transparent and how they operate is so... Uh, understandable at this point that that the media deserves a lot of culpability for allowing themselves to be so sort of easily manipulated. I think Donald Trump got something like $2 billion worth of free publicity during the, the 2016 election by the major media outlets. The, the major media quoted something like 1,900 fake Russian Twitter accounts in news stories in the 2016 election. You know, like bad actors are going to be bad actors, but the fourth estate you know, almost needs a check and balance against itself because it's kind of fallen down on the job in many ways. Well, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about accountability. And and I do want to touch on your new book, Stillness is Key. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's 
what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Before the break, we were chatting with Ryan Holiday, um, author of Stillness is the Key, about his work with um, with marketing. And, and I do think being personally accountable is fundamental to holding everybody else accountable too. And I think understanding sure. our, our own role and in in what we are reaping societally uh, is important. And and I think that your new book on stillness gives us the tools to actually hold ourselves accountable. Can we talk about stillness a little bit and why it's so such an essential part of so many philosophies? Yeah, I, I do think at, at the end of the day, reformation has to start at home, right? So we're we've we've I think it's great that we've started to wake up to some of the dangers and excesses of social media. You know, some of the the problems with our sort of you know twenty four seven news culture with all these things. But at the at the end of the day, like I I'm worried that people now can just sort of blame these big monoliths or these big behemoths for all the problems that are going on in the world and in their life. And ultimately, we have to take sort of personal responsibility for ourselves. So it's, you know, Facebook is not the problem, although it is a problem, like your relationship with Facebook is the problem. And how are you going to resolve that in your own life? And writing this book about stillness, I, I realized like I had to make a bunch of changes in my life. Like I, I quit Facebook in you know, January of, of, of last year. It's been wonderful. My new thing is I don't... Uh, I use this app called Spar and it sort of does these challenges and it, it charges you money if you, if you don't hit the goal for the day. And my, the one, one I've been doing that I've really loved lately is like, I don't touch my phone for a minimum of the first 30 minutes of the day. And this morning I got up at six and I didn't use my phone until 8.30 when I had to get you know, directions for somewhere that I was driving. And so um, the idea of saying, look, these things are addictive, they are manipulative, manipulative. They, they can you know, make you unhappy, but then deciding how are you going, instead of just railing about them on social media, <laughs> how can you decide like, hey, I'm going to be very intentional about how I use technology or how I use alcohol or how I relate to food. It's just deciding to, to sort of take ownership of your own life. I think that's really important. So intention seems like it's a huge part of this philosophical bent. Can you just explore that? And and how do you, you know, of course it sounds tidy and neat and fabulous. Um, sure. And there's an app for that apparently, but <laughs> but I'm it is so much harder in practice. So yeah, of course. I mean, I think you want to kind of see willpower as a muscle in your life. And so instead of you know just magically hoping that you'll be able to resist temptations or that you know you'll you'll be able to respond the right way in the right situation it's deciding to sort of actively practice these things right so you know it's it's not like hey i i don't want to use my phone too much it's hey here is when i'm going to use my phone and sort of building around that or um like for instance like i have a problem over committing to stuff right like when things come in i say yes and I regret it. And so I have to like work with the people on my team and go like, look, 
I'm not allowed to have more than, say, three things in my calendar each day because if I have too many, then I'm not spending that time writing, I'm not doing my job, and that's what keeps this sort of whole thing going. So, so when I think of the word intentional, I, I mean sort of one, knowing what you want to do and how you want to do it, but then also setting in place systems or structures or incentives that not only sort of encourage that behavior, but allow you to sort of develop momentum and strength in doing that behavior. In your book, you break down stillness into three parts. You mind, soul, and body, which is interesting because most people always you put the spirit, soul part at the end, you know? Yes. It's like body, mind, spirit. So you kind of flip that on its head, which I love. But can you talk a little bit about how those are connected and and how they build on each other in in regards to stillness? So I think when people hear this word stillness, they maybe just think it's like, oh, that's clearing the mind or that's meditating, right? Like it's just sort of That is exactly problem. what I thought when I <laughs> held your book in my hands. I thought, oh my God, I got to meditate. got to sit on one thing I've heard over and over during this podcast. Start to meditate, yeah. Jill. <laughs> that's, like the, that's actually the one thing I decided was not going to be in the book in any way. It was basically <laughs> not going to talk about meditation. Um, and and the, the reason for that is like, I feel like that's only part of the equation. Like, let's say, let's say you decide you, you, you are intentional, you commit and you meditate 10 minutes every morning. But then you go back to your life and you're just generally a really jealous person or you have untreated traumas or you've built your career around proving people wrong or, or um, you know, you're, you're deeply motivated by anger. That, that clarity that you got in the morning is going to be very short-lived. And, and just like if you have you know, sort of great spiritual alignment, but then you go home to your enormous mansion, which is filled with a bunch of crap that you don't need and you're sort of drowning under your own stuff, that's also not so, or, or if you have bad habits or bad systems or bad routines, again, the, the stillness is going to be ephemeral. And so what, what I'm trying to do in the book is, is go like stillness is this, if, if that sort of equanimity, the ability to sort of be still while the world is spinning around you, even if you're in the middle of a busy job or a, you know, a, a, a busy life, or, you know, I can hear my my kids running around downstairs. Uh, like, how, how can you how can you have that sort of stillness on command to use in your life? But you're going to have it is going to have this is going to require some holistic solutions or strategies. You've got to sort of figure out how to slow your mind down. You've got to figure out how to get your your sort of heart and your emotions in the right place. And then ultimately, you've got to take care of yourself physically um, and 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 environmentally, uh, if, if you want this to be enduring or meaningful stillness in any way. Okay, so all of this sounds great. And the <laughs> holistic component of it is incredibly appealing to me. But I also get a feeling of, wait a second, isn't that just sort of striving for a perfect life, like striving for an ideal that is just always going to be out of reach? And depending on what you have access to in your life— further and further and further out of reach at different times. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely not talking about perfection. What I think I am talking about is integration. So one of the heroes to me in the book was, was, was John F. Kennedy. Like I was fascinated with the sort of stillness and the poise and the equanimity that John F. Kennedy illustrates in the Cuban Missile Crisis. He basically saves all of humanity, backs us, from the, backs us off from the brink of nuclear war. At the same time, as great as he was over these 13 days, you know, he's also 
cheating on Jackie during the missile crisis. Instead of being <laughs> home with his family, the world is about to destroy. You know, he's, he's hooking up with like a, basically a, a young girl in a Washington, D.C. hotel room. So I'm not saying that we have to strive to be perfect, but I do think we, we should always be trying to get better and we should be trying to integrate ourselves. So, I so, think, you're, um, so you're seeing him as someone who maybe was very cut off. There was yeah. this cut off part of himself that was carrying on taking risks and betraying people and whatever, while this other part of him was able to be incredibly still focused and purposeful. Yeah, that sort of compartmentalization is something we want to work on. Tiger Woods being another great example. On the golf course, incredibly still, but in his private life is sort of coming apart at the scenes. And and eventually one destroys the other. And I think we all have versions of that. So it's, you know, you're you're incredibly uh, successful at your job, but your marriage is falling apart or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're doing great. You trade stocks, you're on this incredible run, but your relationship with your parents is a mess and it's the source of a lot of your insecurities and the anger that you feel. Um, And so what I'm talking about is just making the decision to really attack and address all these different areas so we can get to a place where I think when people hear stillness, they think, okay, I got to go somewhere where there's quiet. I got to go somewhere beautiful. I got to take things off my plate. You know, I think they're, they're thinking about it only um, externally, but often the real source of our lack of stillness is, is interior. It's our emotions. It's our thoughts. It's that, you know, sort of racing voice in the back of our head or it's our ego. And then there's other people who have mastered that, but they are, you know, they live in New York City and they hate it. And if they move somewhere else, they'd have more sort of peace and quiet. So there's lots of different angles to attack this problem from. I don't think it's about comparing yourself against an ideal, but it is about sort of trying to make a little bit of progress every day. One of the one of the stereotypes, I think, and I don't know, I wouldn't say dangers, but one of the places I get caught up in the whole idea of stillness, and it was what I, the problem I had with Buddhism when I was studying Buddhism, is that it there's a line between equanimity and escapism or detachment. Sure. And what I didn't like about, like when Buddhism was like, you love everybody and you're not attached to anyone. Well, I was like, well, I, I love my husband. I love my kids. Sure. I, so how do you maintain a place of stillness but still, ha- I don't know, it's, it's, it's the attachment thing, right? Can yeah. you be attached and still have stillness? <laughs> I, I, I struggle with that as well. And, I, and one of the interesting things about Buddha's story is that to seek enlightenment, Buddha walks away, you know, Buddha is a prince. He walks away from that. We kind of understand that, you know, but then he also walks away from his wife and his young child. And that doesn't seem like enlightenment to me. Being a deadbeat is not enlightenment. It's not, <laughs> that's like, that, that's the opposite of enlightenment, right? And so uh, that's why I'm interested in stillness in the real world. I think the way I get there, it's not, attachment can, it, when you say it's a sort of being detached, we think that means you don't care. Um, what the Stoics talk a lot about is sort of realizing that the people that you love, um, you don't possess them, you can't keep them, and, and, and because they can go away, they can leave, or life can take them from you, or life can take you from them. What the Stoics talk about instead is like deciding to be really present and really enjoying the moment in front of you. So it's, it's about not being attached to the past or to the future, 
but being deeply engaged and locked in to what's in front of you. So that's, that's kind of how I split that difference and, and try to think about it. Is it's like, okay, I can't make my kids my whole world because that's not fair to them. And it's also deeply sort of fragile strategy. But I can, you know, in this moment where we're sitting on the couch, actually be there and show up for it and not try to rush through it and also not miss it because I'm ruminating on, you know, some email that I got. (laughs) When we come back, I want to delve into some specific steps we can take to utilize the stillness to make our lives better. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We've been chatting about stillness with Ryan Holiday, and I want to take the whole concept of stillness and apply it to the topic that brought Jill and me together, um, The Good Life. That was the name of the magazine we both worked on. Um, so can you tell us, and, and the good life is a big part of philosophy in general, sure. but Stoics in particular. That's the whole point. Yeah. So can you talk about the good life from the Stoic perspective for a bit? Yeah. So, so I, I've come to define the good life as autonomy, right? Like, do you have control over what you're doing and why you're doing it? Right. So um, what the Stoics are really interested in is like how much control you have over yourself. Even if you're living under a tyrant or you're living in a time of chaos, they're like, are you being, are you being intentional? Are you leading your life? Or is, are you being led around by life? 
So for me, what I think about even like with success is like, if my success is making me busier and busier and uh, you know more obligated and more obligated, then I'm going in the wrong direction. If my success is allowing me the freedom to have to, to, to pursue the things I want to pursue, to explore what I want to pursue, to have, to have time with my family, with friends, to enjoy what I have, then that's great, right? So, so I think really, really thinking about... Well, I think what the Stoics would urge people to do is, is not think about success or power or um, you know, the things that you want. Not, don't think about them through the lens of what everyone else says is good, but really think about like, what does a great day look like for you? Like, what does a good life look like to you? And then making sure that you're making decisions that are getting you closer to that and not further away from that. Hmm. And and what looks like a good life to me might look nothing like a good life to you. Sure. It's, it's yeah. extremely individual. I, I think I think so. And that's why and it's it really could, important. I mean, just to stretch it. Could it potentially involve? Let's say you're a very, you're just a, a very ambitious person. That's how you are. That's what drives you. That's what you you want to speak to mass audiences. You want to touch as many lives as possible, or you want to build a huge company. That's just what you're driven to do. So that could fit in, despite say the trade offs that that are so. that might be required. That could fit in to the good life if it's if it's if it's authentically what. What, how you define it? Yeah, I think so. It provided that it's sort of checked against those virtues we were talking about earlier of sort of justice and moderation. So if like, if you have an insatiable appetite for power and success and fame and, and there's never enough for you, I think eventually that ends in ruin. Or if, if your power and success is coming at the expense of other people. You have an exploitative company, or you have an evil company, or you know you're you're a dictator who's taking over the world. Obviously, these are not not good places, yeah. and I, I don't I don't think I that's think unfortunately be this person I've this hypothetical <sighs> person very much not me that I've just described often winds up. But I don't I <laughs> think that's not of, the good life. Place. I don't think that's what Ryan's talking about because very specifically, I and mean, if you want to talk about philosophers. The whole idea is rooted in virtue, and that's not a life. That's a life of hedonism. And I think it was Epicurus who said, you know, you can't have a pleasurable life without an honorable, and I don't remember yes. all the other adjectives or, or, that he described, but it, it, the good life is rooted in, there's no real, the irony is you think free, your freedom is doing whatever you feel like. The freedom is doing what you know is right. I, I, I try, t- please correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, I, I think that's very beautifully said. And, and like what I try to think about is like whatever you're doing, whether you're trying to run a magazine or build a podcast or, you know, make the Olympics or you're, you know, you're trying to, to become president. It's like, are you doing that from a place of craving or are you doing that from a place of fullness? So are you doing it from a place where you feel good about yourself, you feel like you can add value, you feel like you can make a difference, you feel like uh, it's a challenge you're excited about, or are you doing it from a place of like, I got to prove these people wrong, I need this, you know, it's going to be so amazing once I have it, then I'll finally be happy, you know, it... Like the Stoics talk, the Stoics are, what I love about the Stoics is they're not saying that it, it's not okay to be rich or to be sex, successful or powerful or, or famous, 
What they're saying is that to need those things is a really bad place to come from. So if you're coming, if you're like, it's not until I'm the most powerful man in the world that I will feel good, or it's not until I I have the perfect family, then my parents will finally accept me and love me and be what they should have been all along. Yeah, we know how that one turns out. (laughs) That's the irony is none, it never turns out well, right? Like, but if you're coming at it, like I think about it with books, like, am I writing this book because I want to make money? Am I writing this book because I want to hit the bestseller list? Am I writing this book because I want to go do lots of interviews about it? Those are all really bad reasons. If I'm writing this book because I have something to say and I actually enjoy the writing process and it's, it's a it's a challenge that that gets me up every morning. That's a not only is that a, a better place to come from as a human being, but I think that produces better work ultimately. I think people can smell and feel feel that desperation, whatever industry you're operating in. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I know you you what you described um, also touches on. Uh, the concept of having enough. You talk yeah. about that in the book too, because E-word. sometimes even when, yeah, the e word. Even I when you're you feel good about your drive, you're doing it for the the right reasons. It's like you're you're writing. It's still there's sometimes that insatiability that sure. keeps pushing you past the point where it is it is a virtuous and just endeavor. So can we talk about that e word? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's sort of the paradox. And you see this with athletes a lot. It's like what makes someone a champion is their relentless, insatiable thirst for improvement, for getting better, for not being satisfied, which is a strength. But the weakness, the vulnerability of that strategy is like even as they're, even as the confetti is coming down because they've won the championship, they can't be proud of themselves. They can't be grateful. They can't appreciate it. All they can think about is what's next. And I think we kind of, you know, as a society, we encourage that as well. Like, uh, I'm sure you guys get this all the time. Like people, oh, I, you know, I'm listening to the show. I've, I'm what you, you're doing so awesome. You have all this stuff going on. And you're like, yes, it's great. And then go, so what's next for you? Like, <laughs> you know, like the idea oh my God, it's would... a horrible question. It's horrible. It's, it's very it's, pointy. It's, and I, I think it, it encapsulates our inability to be satisfied. And I don't think we do great things thinking about what's next. I think we do great things when we sort of kind of um, follow our hearts. And like I was saying, when we come from a place of fullness, not from craving. So on the one hand, we understand why it's beneficial to, human, to, to, to the, the human species that we're never satisfied. It's why life keeps getting better and we keep having these technological advancements and all of that. But at the same time, we got to realize at the individual level, if you're impossible, like Epicurus also had this line, he said, um, uh, nothing is enough for the person who enough is too little. <laughs> and, and when you look at history, there's, there's no conqueror who ever, you know, finally got to that last country and then thought, ah, I did it. Now I can retire, right? Like you know, we, always, we invent the next thing. It, it's funny. I was reading a story, I think, in the Times about this Kenyan marathoner who Nike works with, yeah. and he—he's the greatest marathoner who's ever lived. 
Name is escaping me. Mind the yes. Sivs. It's very difficult to pronounce, but he's a, <laughs> yes. a very brilliant man. We've yes. all watched him yes. run and win. And he wanted, Nike wanted to help him break two hours. So they arranged this utterly atypical marathon situation for him um, so he wouldn't be running under normal circumstances. So it's not a real record in a marathon because it can't be recreated in an actual race. Um, But they created these ideal conditions, and he made it. I think he was like 40 seconds under two hours. And he ran with all of these other famous marathoners who helped him keep pace. Um, And It was just such a beautiful story because he, it's not that he, he wasn't motivated and Nike wasn't particularly motivated by wanting to break the record because it's not going to be a real record. It wasn't a real race. He wanted to show it could be done so that the runners who come after him know that it is humanly possible to do this and aim for it. It was just, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm no kind of elite athlete and I just felt so moved by that on some level. Like this no, purpose I, I think that he's drove a, he's him. A, he's a fascinating uh, person, and 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 what I think is interesting. What, what I, I'm a I'm a bit of a runner myself. What I always try to remind myself is like, so you know, you go for a run, and you see all the people pass you, or you pass other people. Um, the mind is always trying to compare ourselves to other people to sort of create competition. And what you have to realize is that we're all running our own different races. And it takes, there's a sort of a quiet confidence and a stillness that comes from realizing that you're not racing against anyone else. You're only racing against yourself. You're racing against your own capacities. And that if you're, if you're trying to do things to set records or to win the most of this or to make the most of that, I think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If you're doing it because you're trying to see, can you realize what you're capable of? That's much better. And what I really think is fascinating about him, he's talked about this. He, <clears throat> He talks about how hard it is to train that he 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 almost never runs at a hundred percent capacity. How much? How, like he's like, I love running. I'm trying to do this for a long time. That it actually he's actually required to be very disciplined about his self discipline. Like if left to his own devices, he'd run really fast all the time. He'd get hurt. He'd burn himself out. And that to do these sort of big things that he wants to do. He has to have that practice, that moderation of going, you know what, today I'm only running at 70%. And I have to stay, you know, like I have to sort of put these limits around myself. So because at the end of the day, like the good life is what I'm after. I don't want to, I don't want to have a short career. I want to have a long career and I want to have a happy career. And I want to, I want to be intentional about it. As part of the good life and something that you touch on in your book, you mentioned the need for an acknowledgement of a higher power. Why is that important? I think like at the, the bluntest level, it's like <laughs> you, it's not that you have to believe in God. It's just, you can't believe that you're a God. You know? <laughs> and I think that's sort of, that unfortunately, uh, the, the, the modern condition for a lot of people, we've, as we've knocked away all these old institutions, whether it was country or church or, um, you know, uh, uh, a trade or a craft, we've become more and more the centers of our own universe. And this is, I think, a precarious place to live. It's a place that encourages ego, that I think encourages some of the hedonism we're talking about. And so, you know, I grew up uh, religious. I sort of became an atheist. 
as I've, as I've studied and written about this and, and, and really looked at it philosophically, I feel like I've moved more towards a place of, of being agnostic and that I, I have the humility to say that I don't know. Like, and how could I know, right? And, and it, I would have thought that, that that place of doubt would have made me feel more insecure, but in fact, it was the opposite. It sort of opened up a realm of possibility for me. But the Stoics, although they did talk about the, the about God and the gods, um, I think they looked at it more like the universe is so vast and complex and so much larger than us that to 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 sort of meditate on that and think about it was really important as far as sort of quieting the mind, you know, helping reduce your desire to control and, and, you know, sort of be the center of everything and just help you practice some acceptance. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot of sort of grace and, and quiet in, in acceptance that not, not thinking you can control everything. Well, I love that. Thank you. I definitely know I can't control anything. <laughs> we loved having you today. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. To our listeners, get Ryan's latest book, Stillness is the Key, and follow him at Ryan Holiday. Um, and subscribe to his writing, too, at ryanholiday.net and or thedailystoic.com. I love that. Um, I think I do need a dose of this daily. The Road to Somewhere is recorded in New York City. Make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review us. We would love to hear from you. Where are you on your journey? Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at pod2somewhere. And email us at roadtosomewhere at iheartmedia.com. Special thanks to Alicia Haywood, our incredible producer. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on The Road to Somewhere. We're available on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.